You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Not all gay people are good. Being gay can be good, and there are lots of good gay people out there, but not all gay people are good. Um, sometimes I get in trouble when I say that and when people come back at me as if I'm somehow letting down the side by admitting that some gay people are evil or stupid or crazy, I always respond with, Jeffrey Dahmer ate a friend of mine. It's really hard for someone whose friend was butchered and consumed by a gay cannibal to just blithely swan around acting like all gay people are – good or you should just assume that all gay people are good. They get some sort of benefit of the doubt. They don't and I say that as a gay person. Not all gay people are sane. Not all gay people are good. Not all gay people are trustworthy. That point was driven home last week when an insane, clearly insane gay person showed up at the offices, uh, presumed to be gay person. This person had volunteered at an LGBT organization in Washington, D.C. I'm not up on all the reports right now. Maybe he's openly gay. Uh, I assume that he is. But this person showed up at the offices of the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C., got into a tussle with a security guard, pulled a gun, and shot the guard. The person had a lot of ammunition on him and may have been planning some sort of mass shooting. We do not yet know. But this person was gay and crazy. Uh, let me be the first to say, as I was the first to say last week on Twitter, that I condemn violence. I condemn any political violence uh, against uh, our side or their side or any side of any political or religious debate. Violence has no place. Uh, and I believe I was the first on Twitter to point out that if the shooter at the Family Research Council offices in Washington, D.C., was motivated by religious animus, was motivated by bigotry. He can and should be charged under the kinds of hate crime statutes that the Family Research Council itself opposes. Uh, and I would like to see him charged with a hate crime if indeed he was motivated by hate, if that shakes out uh, in the trial. Now, that said, um, the – uh, Family Research Council, Brian Brown, other people are trying to capitalize on this, other people on the right, by saying that we, gay people, and the Southern Poverty Law Center, which had designated the Family Research Council as an anti-gay hate group, created this climate of conflict and uh, you know heightened and heated rhetoric that led directly to this shooting. The name of the shooter was Floyd Corkins and what Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council, said on – Fox News the other day was that, quote, Floyd Corkins was given license to shoot an unarmed man by organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center that have been reckless in labeling organizations hate groups because they disagree with them on public policy, uh, specifically same-sex marriage. A lot of people are running around saying that the Family Research Council was designated a hate group because they oppose same-sex marriage. I want to tell you a little story quickly, a little digression about uh, an, an opponent of same-sex marriage. This person was running for office a few years ago and said, and I quote, that they opposed gay marriage because when a man marries a woman, God is in the mix. That's kind of an offensive thing to say. Offensive to men who are atheists who marry women who are atheists and have totally civil ceremonies without invoking God at all to insert God into their relationships against their will, kind of insulting them, but really insulting to same-sex couples. Who exactly is in the mix when a man marries a man or a woman marries a woman? If God is in the mix when a man marries a woman, the Pillsbury Doughboy, Satan, who the fuck is it? Kind of an offensive thing to say. Now, you would imagine that if gay people routinely blew up or were angry at – 
leaders or organizations that oppose same-sex marriage, uh, that this was all it took to you know, earn our ire everlastingly, to be labeled a hate organization or a hater, that gay people would have opposed this candidate who was running for office uh, vociferously, for, particularly after he said that he opposed same-sex marriage because God is in the mix when a man marries a woman. That candidate, of course, not to let the cat out of the bag, that candidate was Barack Obama who earned upwards of 70 percent of the gay vote in 2008. Uh, I voted for him. I sent him a check. This is not about opposition to gay marriage. The Southern Poverty Law Center responded to Tony Perkins saying that his accusations uh, against him are outrageous. The SPLC has listed the Family Research Council as a hate group since 2010 because it has knowingly spread false and denigrating propaganda about LGBT people, not as some claim because it opposes gay marriage. Jeremy Hooper, good as you, uh, a terrific uh, LGBT rights blog, put up a list of the things, the sorts of things that Family Research Council has said over the years that got it labeled a hate group. It's not about opposition to same-sex marriage. Uh, Tony Perkins has gone on television and claimed that gay teenagers commit suicide because they know they're doing something wrong by being gay and that is why they kill themselves. Uh, the Family Research Council has published a pamphlet that compares – that likens same-sex marriage to man-on-horse marriage, a pamphlet illustrated with a picture of a horse. Uh, the Family Research Council has compared gay people to terrorists has said it's a fact that homosexuality leads to eternal damnation, said the blood of dead Marines would be on the hands of any politician who supported the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Peter Sprigg, an official at the Family Research Council on Hardball with Chris Matthews, called for gay sex to be criminalized, for gay people to be thrown in jail for having sex with each other, consensual adult sexual intercourse. And among the most infuriating and damaging things that the FRC has put out there it's a publication called Homosexual Activists Work to Normalize Sex with Boys that said one of the – and I'm quoting – one of the primary goals of the homosexual rights movement is to abolish all age of consent laws and to eventually recognize pedophiles as the prophets of a new sexual order. The proof that we're looking to normalize sex between men and boys and we want to make pedophilia acceptable, the proof that they held up is that homosexual activists publicly disassociate themselves from pedophiles. That's the proof that we have a secret plan to normalize and legalize pedophilia. Now, this pedophilia charge that Family Research Council is constantly making, comparing, equating homosexuality with pedophilia, saying they are one and the same, uh, is particularly damaging to young gay people. Forty percent of homeless teenagers or LGBT kids were thrown out of their houses after they came out or outed to their families. I have heard from scores and scores and scores of teenagers – of gay teenagers who were thrown out of their houses when they came out to their families because their parents were convinced that they were a danger to their younger siblings because, of course, gay people are pedophiles and these kids would not be able to resist raping their younger brothers. So out they went onto the street. There are real-world consequences to the kind of hate that the Family Research Council spreads. Do not believe the hype. Do not believe the lies. The shooting was a despicable violent act. I condemn it. Every gay rights group in America signed on to a public letter condemning the shooting. But the Family Research Council is out there claiming now that they are the victims and that this shooting proves that they are not a hate organization as if shooting up the offices of the KKK proves that they're not actually racists. They're the victims. No. And they're not considered a hate organization because they oppose same-sex marriage. Good and decent people oppose same-sex marriage for sometimes what they believe to be rational reasons.
Barack Obama used to be one of them and gay people supported Barack Obama and voted for Barack Obama back when he did not support same-sex marriage. This is not about same-sex marriage. This is about hatred. This is about lies. This is about the defamation of gay people. That is the Family Research Council's only reason to exist. The Family Research Council, like NAM, the National Organization for Marriage, is in the bearing false witness business. They bear false witness against their gay and lesbian neighbors every day in the most vile and hateful terms possible, which is why they have been labeled an anti-gay hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old bi girl calling from Canada, and I have a question about etiquette. So I'm a bartender at a bar. A girl came in a few days ago. She was super cute. I thought our conversation was kind of flirty. All I got was her first name, though, and that she works in an office across the street. So there's no way for me to look her up on Facebook, no phone number. I think the only way for me to be sure that I saw her again would be to drop into her office, which seems kind of creepy. And I think if I were a guy, that would be definitely considered creepy. I don't even know if she's interested in women, nothing. So I'd just be like dropping into her office and being like, hey, just was in the neighborhood. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would be kosher. So what do you think? Is that weird? You work in a bar across the street from her office. Uh, rest assured that if she is interested in you, uh, if this interest is mutual, she is coming back for another drink. And, and if not, you know, maybe she just saw you, thought you were cute, thought you were way out of her league, wouldn't think to hit on you uh, in his bi or lesbian herself. She may just wander in again in another few days uh, and that will be opportunity to let her know that you're definitely interested. But walking into her office lets her know that you're definitely Creepy, that you have boundary problems, that, that you have no common sense. Uh, and as I've hammered away on the show for years, one of the things people look for in a partner is common sense, is uh, good judgment. And it would display bad judgment and not meet cute rom-com bad judgment on your part. Uh, just bad judgment, pure and simple, for you to show up in her office. Uh, maybe she works in a place where people are really, you know, even if she's out and open at work, people are really sexually conservative or people are spooked by an employee whose personal life involves strangers wandering into their office. Maybe they don't want that. Even if they're hyper-gay supportive, maybe they would look to her and think, who else is going to wander in this office because of you that makes all of us uncomfortable? Nothing to do with sexuality just has to do with – What's up with you? Like it's going to make her look bad potentially in the eyes of her coworkers and colleagues. Uh, if strange friends keep – start wandering into the office building for no reason. So uh, just hang out. And you know what? She works across the street. Hang out outside your bar sometime. Read a book. If you see her, leave the building. Uh, go tackle her. Ask her out on a date. I just realized I, I, I urged you to stalk this woman somehow, maybe a little bit, to hang outside her office and wait for her to exit. I meant, you know, you work across the street. You can hang out outside your place of employment. You can read a book. I don't know what kind of bar it is. Are there chairs and tables where you can nurse a beer one day when you're not on uh, and read a book? And if you see her leave the building when you're not working, wave her over and ask her if she wants to have a drink with you. I don't mean lurk right outside her office building and then actually tackle her when she comes out. Uh, Good luck. Hey, Dan. Uh, I'm a 20-year-old college student uh, in the East Coast, and um, I'm calling about a friend of mine. Uh, he has developed this really bad habit of 
sending me pictures of his dick on occasion. Um, and uh, I know he's been doing it to several of our other friends as well. And all of us have had conversations with him about it, about how we don't want to see his penis. Uh, we have nothing to do with his penis. But yet he still keeps sending us these pictures. And uh, last night, I got two pictures and a video. And I'm pretty sure he's just doing it to make sure that I'm paying attention, uh, which is sort of impossible not to. So uh, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? What, what's the best way to go about this? I like the guy. He's a really good friend of mine, but I uh, I don't know how to handle this situation. Thanks, Dan. I may have to recuse myself from answering this question just because, you know, here at the office, it's kind of a thing that sometimes happens between me and a couple of my coworkers where we will send each other an urgent email and then the body of the email is some alarming photograph. Uh, this is no one's at risk here of being sexually harassed at work. These are people who've worked together for years and years and know how this will be received. Um, so maybe I should recuse myself because I'm in uh, perhaps your friend's camp with the here's a shocking picture, motherfucker. But they're never shocking pictures of my own dick, actually. I would never send my friends pictures of my own dick. Either your friend wants to fuck you or he's an exhibitionist uh, or he has poor judgment uh, and you shouldn't date him as a result. But you just need to tell him, knock this shit the fuck off. Uh, in no uncertain terms and you need to perhaps get angry. Sometimes when you know friends or acquaintances behave in inappropriate ways, uh, the victims, the, the people who are on the receiving end of this inappropriate behavior will be inhibited in their reaction because they don't want to make the person who's behaving badly feel bad about behaving badly so that you will you know, pull your punches and you'll be a little apologetic about you know, being hurt or angry or, or unnerved and you'll go to them and it really won't get through their thick skulls that they need to fucking stop this. Someone who had good judgment wouldn't be doing this in the first place. So that kind of person is already – identified themselves to you as someone who you're not going to be able to be circumspect with. You're really going to have to bludgeon them with it. And you're going to have to go to your friend and say, knock this shit the fuck off. It, I hate it. You're driving me fucking crazy. Stop it. And if they don't stop it, obviously they're trying to drive you out of their lives. Don't be their friends anymore. Delete them. Ignore their emails. Ignore their texts. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I am a 21-year-old female from the Midwest. Um, I have a 15-year-old younger brother. I uh, love him to death. And over spring break, he came out of the closet. Woohoo! Yay! Love it. Couldn't ask for anything better. Only his style on the matter was less than desired. Um, uh, absolutely no clue. He's not a fairy at all. He's very, I had absolutely no clue. Um, he didn't come home from school one day. And so I called my mom and he ended up staying after school for something. Only when she called up there to ask why he was being held by the police department because he had been in relationships with older men, and by older, I mean in their 40s, old enough to be our father. One of them was the father of one of his best friends, 
and the other he had met online. He had told them that he was 18 and blah, 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 and whatever, whatever. But I think the hardest part was, like, what do you say? I don't want to... I mean, they're older men. That's really creepy. I don't know. I want to be there for him because he's my brother, and I'm sure that he's freaked out. But I'm allowed to think that wanting to be with older men when you're 15 is weird, right? So how's your brother doing? Um, kind of hard to tell. He's a quiet person, naturally. Mm-hmm. So I, like, he doesn't really talk much about his feelings, but he's actually been seeing a therapist for the past few weeks, and I, I think it's helping. Good. Uh, a pro-gay therapist, right? We're not talking about quack ex-gay therapy therapists, right? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> he actually like specializes in abuse cases and helping teenagers come out and stuff. So. Okay, good. Um, listen, you know, your question basically boils down to why, you know, your brother was sleeping with older men. And I, I've gotten that question a lot. Why do so many teenage boys wind up with older men, these inappropriate sex partners? And the answer that I often give first is because really for a lot of isolated teenage gay boys, there aren't any appropriate sex partners out there. Most of their peers right. who are gay are not out yet. Um, they may not be out to their families or feel that they can come out to their families, which is not their fault that they feel that they may feel that way. Um, families may not have, have may have said homophobic things or may not have gone out of their way to communicate to their kids that they will be welcomed if they are gay, uh, just in case some of their kids are gay. Like a lot of families out there don't say anything about gay people at all because they don't think they have any gay kids when actually the fact they do. So even if family isn't homophobic, the kid may conclude that the family is homophobic because of this omission, right? So they'll go online and look for somebody who's outside and safe and outside of their own peer group too, which makes them even safer. Because, you know, if you're having surreptitious sex with, when you're closeted with somebody who knows your family, who knows your friends, knows people, and I realize your boy, your brother was having sex with somebody in your orbit, but the further away they are, the safer the closet is, right? The safer your closet is. If you're having sex with somebody where there's no overlap. So oftentimes you end up with young teenage boys dating people who are much older, inappropriate, partners, way more experienced, able to, if they are assholes, exploit their teenage partner's naivete or inexperience or manipulate them in ways that could lead to their harm, all because teenage closet cases are flying blind. You know, you think back when you were 15 and you first started to date, who were you dating? Well, when I was 15, I was in a relationship with an 18-year-old and that seemed like a stretch. But But it was somebody (laughs) close to your own age. Did your parents know that you were dating this person? Yes. And if there was an issue or a conflict, could you go to your parents about it? Oh, totally, totally. Right. So there's your 15-year-old brother, just like you at 15, wants an adult relationship, wants to date. And there's nobody he can go to and say, this person expressed an interest in me. Should I date this person? Right? Because he's not out. I get it. So he has to make his own own shitty judgments in the moment with, you know, a – with his balls full of cum and hormones raging <laughs> through his body, right? That's when he's making these yes. poor judgments, absent any, you know, siblings' input or parents' input or peers' input because he's not out to anybody yet. So he chose inappropriate sex partners for those reasons. It's also possible that your brother's attracted to older men. Just a that's, lot that's of, apparently what the consensus is, is that that's his type, which I totally get. I mean, we can't help who we're attracted to. It's just I don't know how to be supportive of it when – in my head, it's just 
really fucked up. You well, know? Here, here's what you do to be supportive of it. You tell him that a lot of people who are attracted to men, a lot of women and a lot of gay men are attracted to older men, to daddy types, daddy figures. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It just presents a few more problems for him when he does start dating, in, seriously dating. Because he's going to be dating people like when he's 18 and it's all okay. He's going to be dating people who are older than he is, more experienced than he is and may be able to exploit him because of his naivete and inexperience. So he's going to be, yeah. have to be on the watch for that, on the guard for that. I don't say that you know every 30-year-old who's dating an 18-year-old is doing something wrong. I'm the author of the campsite rule, remember? But I do believe that a 30-year-old who's dating an 18-year-old or a 40-year-old who's dating an 18-year-old comes in for a higher degree of scrutiny. Because the chances yeah. of that relationship being abusive or exploitative are higher because of the age and experience difference. That doesn't mean that you know, you're automatically an asshole if you date a much younger partner. It means you should own up to the fact that you will be scrutinized more closely and you should welcome it's, that it's scrutiny. And, and those older partners should welcome that scrutiny because if it exonerates them, great. Right. The only older partners who reject that kind of scrutiny are the ones who are hiding something or are being abusive or manipulative. Older partners with younger partners should welcome uh, an interfering family that's like, what's up with you? Because then you can prove yourself, hopefully, to people who can tell you. Actually, well, they recently caught one of the guys, and so that's kind of exciting that – He's actually in jail and. Oh my God! Yeah, of course. If there's a if there's illegality, I'm I'm talking about 18. Yeah, we're not, I'm not talking yeah. about 15. I'm not talking about sta- like me smiling on statutory rape. I am certainly not. If older <laughs> men were raping your brother, then the full force of the law should fall down upon their heads. Oh yes, 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 yes. So I'm glad oh. if you know there are guys out there preying on, you know, m- minors that they're getting dinged. And they're getting arrested, and they should. I'm just gaming this out for the future. You're asking how to be supportive of your brother? I'm not saying support your brother's statutory rapists. I'm saying <laughs> when your brother is older and these relationships become legal and appropriate, here's how you help yeah. him. You validate his attraction to older men. Encourage him to also look at guys closer to his own age. Some may be, you know, have old spirits and still be able to tweak his older man thing. And you tell him yeah. that you, these guys will always – come in for a higher degree of scrutiny and they should welcome it and your brother should too. Okay. Well, thank you. And I love your show and I listen all the time and I'm actually going through and listening to all your old shows again just because I love you so much. So thank you for answering my phone call. You're welcome. And uh, tell your brother I said hang in there and that you know we wanted equal rights, right? The whole LGBT movement is about equal treatment and part, oh, yeah. of, part oh, of that yeah. equal treatment is meddling family members who love and support you but don't just sign off on any idiot thing you want to do. Part of equal treatment is mom and dad going, why the fuck are you dating this asshole like they did to you? (laughs) Right? Exactly. Yay, equal treatment. (laughs) Thanks, bye. Bye. Hello, Ben and Tech at Rescue. I have a question about sex toys. I went to a sex shop with a friend of mine yesterday, and we discovered a strange pattern in the toys. Um, On the backs, they would say, for external use only when they were clearly insertion toys, not the little ones that are like size of a shot glass or an egg, but like the ones that are bigger than your hand, or at least longer than your hand. So this was slightly concerning. We only found a couple of exceptions, which was like a glass toy and a weird freaky Cheshire cat thing, and this other one that has a funny medical purpose. Um, But apart from that, all the other ones we checked, we didn't check all of them, but we checked a lot of them, said for recommended for external use only even though they'd say G-spot stimulator on the front. So my immediate reaction was, 
is there something chemically wrong with them? But most of them said, stay late, free. So I was wondering if you knew why they say for external use only when they're clearly insertion toys. Joining me by phone from Minneapolis is Jennifer Pritchett, owner uh, of Smitten Kitten, a uh, sex-positive women-owned sex toy shop there in Minneapolis, and co-founder of the Coalition Against Toxic Toys. Uh, Jennifer was recently a guest on the show where we discussed uh, phylates and toxic toys. Um, So, Jennifer, thank you for uh, jumping on the phone with me. Sure. Thanks for calling. So, uh, as a sex toy merchant, I've noticed this too. What's with things that are clearly meant to be inserted into your orifices? Labeled as not mm-hmm. for insertion or for external use only. What kind of butt cover is that? I think it's it's kind of lazy legalese that I think gets put on nearly every product that a lot of these big companies make. And it's their attempt to to cover their ass if some customer or you know user of one of their products does something with the product that hurts them, they want to say, hey, we told you you shouldn't put it inside you anyway. But speaking out of the other side of their mouth, like, hey, this is for G-spot or prostate or whatever, which clearly implies for penetration. No, no, no. It's just um, for your it's for your parasitic twins' externalized prostate. It's for the prostate gland right. that hangs outside of your body. Yeah. It's just it's really it's really two faced and I think it's an example of a lot of things. I think it could be an example of lazy graphic design. Insofar as the graphic design department gets like the disclaimer from the legal department and then they just don't bother to change it from product to product. Mm-hmm. I think it could be um, just overreaching legal department saying we're just going to put the most blatant thing out there that we can and try to re- absolve ourselves of any liability. Um, and then I think that's big companies, you know, the, the big manufacturers that have a legal team, for instance. And then there's a lot of little companies that don't have their own legal team or their own legal department, and they just copy what the big guys say. And so you end up with with liability disclaimers on products that don't make any common sense whatsoever. One of the most shocking things you said last time you were on the show, and I'm just going to have you repeat it, is this industry isn't regulated at all. Somebody could claim that their products are phylate-free, and there's no regulator who's going to come in and slap them down for that. The Food and Drug Administration is not going to come down on uh, you know somebody manufacturing dildos or butt plugs who claims they're phylate-free when they have phylates in them, correct? Right. There's nobody wants to talk about it. There is at the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, the people who issue recalls on things, for instance, there is an employee there whose sole purpose in life is to deal with plasticizers and phthalates and consumer products. Mm-hmm. And except they don't want to talk about sex toys, you know? Um, And unfortunately, I think sometimes it comes down to one bureaucrat somewhere that is like, I can't even say the word butt plug. I can't even think about where that might go. And so thus, I have so much other stuff to worry about. I'm not going to worry about it. I think there's a clue in the first syllable of that sex toy's name as to where that product might be headed. Right, exactly. So so somebody, you know, if if you're a shopper, if you're a consumer... Um, and you see both phylate-free and not for insertion or for external use only on a toy, that may be a clue that this is a company that isn't telling you the truth, that can't be trusted. These, right? It, it could be a clue, but like I said, it also could be a clue that they just have a lazy graphic design department too. I mean, for instance, uh, Cal Exotics, big company, they make some safe toys and they make some not-so-safe toys. 
they happen to, I sell some of their silicone vibrators that I think are really great. And when this question from one of your listeners came up, I went and looked out on my packaging on the floor and I hadn't even looked at the tiny little legal disclaimer on the bottom. And sure enough, it says for external use only. But I know that that's a silicone toy. I know it's totally safe for internal use in terms of the material choice. But I still think that's the legal department saying, hey, what if somebody puts this in their butt? It doesn't have a flange base. And instead of having like a huge disclaimer in there about what's safe to put in your butt and what's not, they just say for external use only. So if somebody does put it in their butt and it doesn't have a flange base and they end up in the emergency room, they've at least made an attempt to cover mm-hmm. their liability. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about the Coalition Against Toxic Toys? Where's the website? And tell people whether or not – and they can go there and people can check the toys they're buying against the lists there, correct? Well, what I have is a um, safe uh, shopping sort of guidelines for people, which, which is um, – you can just look at it and basically it says three things. Safe material, non-porous, meaning you can clean it, and is this, is this toy designed for the purpose that I intend to use it for? So it's really simple. I don't have a list on there about what toys are safe and what aren't because it changes so often. I just can't keep up with it. So mm-hmm. what it is is how you can feel empowered to decide that yourself. Okay. So I recommend everybody go there. What's the URL? Um, badvibes.org. Badvibes.org. That's where you will find yep. uh, the Coalition Against Toxic Toys and their recommendations and get educated about how to be a smart sex toy shopper. Jennifer Pritchett, owner of Smitten Kitten and co-founder of the Coalition Against Toxic Toys, thank you so much for joining us today. Yep. Thanks, Dan. Hey, Tech Savvy, At-Risk Youth, and Dan Savage. Uh, I'm calling about, uh, I just got cheated on for the very first time in my whole life, and I'm very, I don't know, not really in shock. I kind of saw it coming. But I'm wondering if I should tell a guy. Um, so this girl I've been dating for like a year, kind of off and on, she goes to school on the East Coast, and I'm on the West Coast, so we don't really see each other much during the year. But uh, anyway, I've been dating her since last summer, and I come home, or I go to her place, Tonight, last night, Friday night, it's Saturday morning now. And, you know, we're chilling, we're on a thing, we have dinner, we fuck. She falls asleep, and with her permission, I go on her laptop. Just, you know, check email, do whatever, before I go to sleep. And this guy messages me, like, hey, babe, can I come over tomorrow? And I'm like, what is this? So I do some snooping. And it turns out, this dude she goes to school with on the East Coast came to Seattle last week to, like, hook up with her and stay in her place, which explains why her roommate was giving me such weird looks. And I'm not sure entirely what to do. Uh, I was reading these conversations because they were in front of me, and it seems to me like there's a lot more fucked up shit going on with my now ex-girlfriend than I previously realized. Like, for example, she apparently has severe self-harm issues and, like, an eating disorder or two and... Shit like that. Well, she just didn't talk to with me, which I'm cool because we kind of kind of casual. But she talked to this guy a lot, and he seemed to help. And he seems like a genuinely nice guy who legitimately cares about her. And I wish them the best of happiness, unless I should tell him. And that's my dilemma because my like recently discovered to be crazy girlfriend um, seems to need this guy. I also found like a little journal of hers on the laptop where she talks a lot about how she is dependent upon him and his emotional support and shit like that. So would it be wrong of me to not tell this guy and like violate the bro code and let my sleazy ex do what she wants with him because she needs to, or like, is it worth 
manning up for the bro code and like leaving her in this like shit place with no friends and no one to listen to her. Because like, I mean, I don't hate the girl. I don't want to like completely fuck her up. Two things leapt out at me uh, from from your call, and it wasn't the cheating or anything else, or the the self harm or the cutting, or the eating disorders. It was this statement: we were kind of casual. Uh, which means, you know, when people say they're casual, that means they're not necessarily exclusive, that those sorts of terms haven't necessarily yet been defined. So this may not have been cheating if you guys didn't have an explicit agreement that this was a sexually exclusive relationship. It could have just been concurrent, not cheating, concurrent. Um, you also say, I found a little journal as you continue to dig around on her laptop. And maybe, you know, you had cause to keep snooping because this incriminating evidence came in and you wanted to know how bad it was and who in your position wouldn't start digging around. Um, but in that journal, you learned that she relies on this guy for emotional support that she doesn't get from, you know, presumably anybody else, including you. Uh, if she's relying on him for emotional support, he likely knows of her emotional issues. She's likely open with him about you know, the self-harm and the eating disorders and, and maybe he's, you know, one of the rare people that she can be in blow. Just we don't know what the fuck's going on with the other guy. What you need to do is bow the fuck out. You know, when you wrestle with somebody covered with shit, even if you win, you walk away covered with shit yourself. Like she may be a terrible person. He may be about to be, you know, badly used uh, by her. Um, you don't really know that. And, and your only desire to reach out and bro code with him, how selfless of you, uh, reach out and honor the bro code and let him know what you now know is to wound her, right? Uh, come on. Just admit it. You don't even know this guy. This guy is the person that she cheated on you with. The only reason you're citing this non-existent bro code is so that in losing you, she also loses him. Not because he doesn't know about you. I think he must know about you. Because that's not what you're holding up as the reason he might walk is the news about you. What you're holding up as the reason you might walk is the news about her mental problems. And revealing that is kind of a horribly shitty thing to do to somebody. So just just walk away. Just you dodged a whole mess of fucking bullets, right? She's not in good working order perhaps. Maybe her mental problems are more severe. Uh, maybe she should be in therapy right now and not – in the dating marketplace. Uh, she's obviously not being fully honest with the, the, her sex partners. You should thank this guy for messaging while you were using her computer because now you know and now you're you're out and in the clear and away from this batshit woman before she could do you more harm than she's already done you. Just thank your lucky stars and walk the fuck away. Um, hi, Dan. I'm a 15-year-old questioning girl female I have what I'm recognizing as a kink, but I could be wrong, um, for popping zits. Um, I know that sounds kind of odd, but I have a serious interest in, like, the squeezing stuff out of other stuff. Like, um, you know those Fruit Gushers candies? Um, if you ever squeeze one of them, uh, for me, that's, like, orgasmic. I, I really love that. So I've been trying to satisfy that. I swear this isn't fake. Oh, my God. Um, and it's not really working out so well. Um, originally, I tried looking up videos, which there's surprisingly a lot of videos of popping zits, um, but that didn't lead any pleasure to me, so I turned to myself, um, where I started hurting myself to squeeze, like, zits and stuff on my arms. And, um, well, now my arms are covered in scabs, and my parents think I'm hurting myself to hurt myself, like I'm depressed but it's really just for sexual pleasure, and I don't know what to do. My parents are getting me to a psychiatrist for separate reasons, 
but they also think that the arms are connected, and I'm not sure what to do. Um, do you have any advice for either helping me out um, for not hurting myself and being able to satisfy the squeezing thing? And if not that, um, what do I do if I have kinks and I don't want to talk about them? I'm thinking back to my zitty adolescence, and I really don't remember having zits on my arms. And I really don't remember seeing a lot of friends at Quigley Preparatory Seminary North, St. Jerome's the Great, or uh, Metro High uh, during my adolescence who had zits all over their arms. So, you know, that's a red flag for me that you're saying that you have scabs up and down your arms from picking the zits on your arms makes makes me think you're either a uniquely zitty person with zits in unique places or you're not – thinking this through <laughs> clearly or you're not perceiving your body uh, accurately. I'm trying to be delicate here. Definitely open up with your therapist about this. This is what therapists are for. Um, kinks are great. Paraphilias are fine. Most mental health professionals don't regard a paraphilia or a kink as a problem unless it's harming the person that has it, unless it's harming them physically, emotionally, harming their relationships significantly. Um, they don't regard it as a problem. If you are covered in scars – then it's a problem. If you're covered in basically self-inflicted injury uh, as a result of your kink at this stage of your life, it is a problem and one you should open up with your therapist about. I definitely would encourage you to do that. I'm sure your therapist will uh, honor your privacy and not turn right around and tell your parents about this. But your parents have a right to be concerned. If I were your parent, I would be concerned. Um, This may not be a kink. It may be an obsessive compulsive disorder. It may be evidence of some other issue. Um, that requires treatment and it's not about pathologizing kinks. I am not about pathologizing kinks but it is about getting to the bottom of what's really going on here for you. And there are zit fetishes out there. God knows it. There are. YouTube has been a pus end for them, right? Um, And you may be one but you may not be one. And what leads me to believe that you may not or just makes me want to toss that out there is the popping zits all over my arms thing. People don't typically have zits all over their arms. And if your arms are covered with scabs because you're picking at pores or you're squeezing blood out of yourself, then something else may very well be at work here, something that a good trained therapist can help you overcome. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old straight male from Colorado. I'm into BDSM and I am also a switch. I met my girlfriend a while ago, and while she wasn't into public BDSM as much as I was, she has since become very active in the public scene. We both have an understanding that we can play with the other people without jealousy. Well, that may be incorrect. Personally, I feel that it is natural to be jealous when I can't play with her, but there are no repercussions for her doing so. My issue is this. Recently, her and I attended a BDSM convention. They have two nights where there are play parties. Admittedly, there isn't a lot of time to do much. She and I usually plan out a surprise scene for the other. This year, I did my scene with her, and as soon as I let her go, she got up and basically ran off to the next scene. Not even a thank you was uttered. I'm left there to clean up and put things away. Yes, there isn't a lot of time, but it makes me feel unimportant, or rather, just another of her play partners. The second night, she was so busy I hardly got to see her. Not that I didn't have options with other people to play with, but again, I felt like she wasn't interested in me. We also play at our local club, and the issue there is that she's usually booked completely once we arrive, so on those nights, it's rare that we even get to spend time together. By contrast, I may get booked too. I DM at the club, but I try to limit it to one scene so I am not pressed for time, hurrying from one scene to the next. 
My question is this. Am I wrong to be upset that she is so, quote-unquote, social? I mean, if we're just play partners, I'd have no right to be upset, but we are in a relationship. I sat her down at the last convention and told her that I would like one of the two nights to be just the two of us, a toy bag and the dungeon. We'd move from station to station. The second night, she can do what she wants. Is this an unreasonable demand? She seemed to think so. I don't think it's an unreasonable demand, um, but I'm not your girlfriend. Uh, clearly, she thinks it's an unreasonable demand that you guys play uh, alone together when you are not at these conventions and not at these parties. So when she's at these parties, she clearly feels that the reason to be there is to have experiences with other people. Um, this is making you feel like you are not important, that you're not her primary partner, uh, that you're not her first priority. Um, seems to me that this is something you guys need to hammer out a compromise about, a way to exist in these public play spaces and at these conventions and parties uh, that allows her her you know sense of freedom and adventure and opportunities with others while not making you feel like a box of Kleenex that she ejaculated in and discarded, right? Uh, so you guys need to talk this out. Um, you know, to put it in BDSM terms, she's not engaged in good aftercare with you. That after the scene, even if you topped her, um, the way she is reacting is making you feel bad and used and unsafe and whatever else. Uh, and that needs to be adjusted. Um, adjusted with not completely controlling her, right? You know, it would be unfair of you to say we're going to this convention in part to play with others, but I don't want you to play with others because it hurts my fifis. Uh, if it hurts your fifis for her to play with others and you guys are not sexually exclusive and that's half the reason you're going to these public events, uh, then it's a little unfair of you to even – attend them uh, as a couple or together because that's just sort of teasing her uh, in a way. And, and maybe this maybe points to you guys being fundamentally sexually incompatible. Hopefully not. Um, if you work on every other level and there's just this little dispute uh, about you know, the percentage of time you spend together versus the percentage of time you spend playing with others uh, at these events, you should be able to work that out. Um, but you're going to have to meet part way, which means you're both going to have to give a little. She may play a little less with others than she might like. Uh, and you may spend a little less time with her in toto than you might like. Everybody loses, but then you guys win each other. Hi, Dan. I just listened to episode 302. Um, I get what you're saying about Shivati, and I think you're absolutely right about it not reducing personal responsibility, condom use, um, responsible use of HIV retroviral drugs. Um, I was a little surprised, though, you weren't alive to the possibilities what this could mean, specifically what Shivati could mean for sex workers, for women in the third world, um, who don't always have a choice over whether or not they get to have safe sex. I mean, so in that case, 40% could mean the difference between life or death. So you're right, but perhaps Shivati isn't just for the promiscuous and irresponsible among us. Maybe it's for those women as well. Hi, I'm calling in about the woman who had a problem with the word twat and you using it and also had a problem with you saying that a vagina is squeaky. Well, I'm a lesbian and I think penises and balls, especially balls, balls are disgusting and they're squeaky. And you know what? If I say that, that doesn't mean that, that I'm sex negative or that I'm trying to shame you about your balls. So I think that that sounds more like she's got an internal problem and she's absolutely entitled to her opinion and she's absolutely entitled to tell her, but not all of us feel that way. I am absolutely okay with you, Dan, calling our vaginas squicky because to you, they absolutely are. And I also, the word twat, I totally disagree with her on that one too. I love the word twat. I love the word cunt and I use them as often as possible in appropriate places, of course, and I have no problem with you using it. 
you know, apparently that's also just her hang up. And again, she's welcome to her opinion, and um, I'm also welcome to mine. So thank you very much for talking about our plots, even though you find vaginas squicky. Hi, Dan. This is Lauren in Cambridge, England. Having grown up in the States, uh, I still have trouble with the word twat, although it's not quite as bad as the C word that I still can't bring myself to say. But in any case, when I moved to the UK, I discovered something wonderful. The word here is pronounced twat and uh, doesn't carry any of that sort of vagina negativity that... um, that twat carried in the United States, and and in fact, it's a very useful and very funny word. Used in a sentence, um, it carries the same sort of resonance as the word dick, as in, I feel like such a twat, or don't be such a twat. So I would like to encourage people to use the word twat. It's wonderful. And we're going to leave it there. A programming note. Next week, we're going to be recording our One Minute Wonder show. We're inviting people to call in with questions that are a minute or less, uh, that take a minute or less to ask. And I will try to keep my answers as brief as possible as well. So we can just tear through, hopefully, 50 or 100 questions in one podcast. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question for a future show, give us a buzz. If you want to make sure your comments, feedback, angry notes, love letters get seen, you can go to thestranger.com slash lovecast. There's a comment thread attached to every show. Also, Hump is coming up. My amateur porn contest, uh, which we have every year in Seattle and Portland. Amateur porn festival. Um, it's really a blast. Please go to humpseattle.com for details about how you can enter. No, you don't have to live in Seattle to enter. Um, there are grand prizes. There's a $5,000 grand prize at Hump. So if you make a little porn on the side, if you want to make a little porn, uh, think about entering Hump this year. It's a real blast. It's a real sort of sex-positive sexapalooza. And best of all, for people who are shy, nothing that's entered into Hump winds up on the internet. No tapes are released. Nothing is put up online. We do our best at every screening to make sure no one's taking pictures or making videos surreptitiously. We've never had a leak of a film. Uh, So Hump, as we like to say, is the porn festival that allows you to be a porn star for the weekend, not the rest of your life online. 206-201-2720 for your questions, a minute or less if you want them on the show next week. And me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth will be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast, which is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. Thanks very much, y'all. Talk to you soon.